0: This program, of course, is presented by Pro Wrestling Illustrated, the most widely read, widely sold, and respected wrestling magazine in the world today.
1: This is the Pro Wrestling Illustrated podcast. I am your host, PWI senior writer, Al Castle. Uh, Back again, going to be joined in a few moments by my co-host, Dan Murphy. We had to record our part of the podcast separately by phone, Um, so tune in for that. we got a lot to talk about. Um, The biggest topic of the week uh, is the latest in the incredible series of matches between Kazuchika Okada and Kenny Omega at uh, New Japan's Dominion show uh, last week. A lot of people talking about it as... The greatest match of all time, uh, which is uh, a pretty big deal, so worth spending some time talking about. Uh, Dan and I both weigh in on what we thought about the match, whether it's the best, uh, we consider it the best match of all time, and where it ranks uh, among other great matches, and, and even among uh, the series of matches that Okada and Omega have had, um, and what it means for Omega's career, uh, what, are, what if anything, are the implications uh, more broadly, including um, WWE and uh, Omega's future. Uh, so a lot to uh, chat on there. We also talk a little bit about the Money in the Bank show uh, coming up um, this Sunday and maybe compare and contrast a little the uh, the styles of New Japan and WWE in their presentation um, as of late. So a lot there. After that, a uh, really fun interview. I just uh, wrapped up actually just a few minutes ago. ...with uh, the one and only Dr. D, David Schultz... uh, ...a a real legend in the wrestling uh, business. Uh, Some would say for all the wrong reasons. Um, He's got a new book out called uh, Don't Call Me Fake... ...the real story of Dr. D, David Schultz. Obviously, that's a play on the incident that made him the most famous... uh, ...when he appeared on 2020 uh, some 30-plus years ago... ...and smacked uh, ABC reporter John Stossel in the face. It uh, pretty much cost him his career and cost WWE uh, a big chunk of money in a lawsuit, and uh, both made him this infamous, notorious character in wrestling, uh, but at the same time also kind of cost him his career. So uh, we talk a bit about that, and and what if any resentment there is there about the fact that uh, he was never really able to truly cash in on the fame that he got from that episode, whether he has any um, regrets, and uh, a lot of other subjects we get him to weigh in some on the the evolution of pro wrestling, what it's become, and his thoughts on it. So uh, a really, really fun uh, chat that you'll want to stay tuned for uh, later on here in the show. Right now, let me tell you about the latest issue of Pro Wrestling Illustrated. Uh, It is the August 2018 issue, and on the cover is Ronda Rousey and Triple H um, getting into it at their match at WrestleMania, and this is our WrestleMania coverage issue with Dan's a uh, fantastic feature on the real winners and losers uh, of WrestleMania. And he goes into that match and all the others uh, from the big show in New Orleans uh, back in April. Uh, a lot more in this issue. Uh, we got a feature about this year's WWE Hall of Fame from WrestleMania weekend. Uh, my hot seat interview with Scott Demore and Don Callis, the new creative heads over at Impact Wrestling. Uh, what else is in here? We've got, oh yeah, Dan's uh, annual 2018 PWI poll uh the 50 hottest questions in wrestling answered by a panel of subscribers Uh, a lot of fun a great snapshot i think of uh, where we are right now in the business uh definitely want to check that out and uh a lot more a real fun issue what you want to do is go to pwi-online.com you could pick up the one issue you could subscribe Um, the longer you subscribe uh, the deeper the savings you can get half off the cover price uh, if you get the digital edition, you get uh, even more savings, and uh, you get it customized for your mobile device, your laptop, your phone, what have you. It looks fantastic, and it also uh, arrives sooner. And before you know it, our next issue, the October issue of uh, PWI, is going to be out pretty soon. That's got a lot of stuff, too. Uh, I think, as I mentioned here on the last podcast, I think I did more work for that issue than I have in, in quite a while with a pretty extensive feature on the history of SummerSlam, in interview with um, Cedric Alexander, the WWE Cruiserweight Champion. Uh, I know Dan's got a bunch of stuff in there too, uh, as does uh, the rest of our amazing uh, team of writers at PWI. And after that, uh, that team has been meeting recently, and we are already uh, getting to work on the annual PWI 500 issue. I think it's going to be a real hotly debated one, a real historic one for a lot of reasons. Um, so you definitely don't want to miss out. The thing to do is to subscribe right now and make sure you don't miss an issue. Pwi-online.com is the place to go, and uh, while you're there, you can find us on Twitter at official Pwi and on Facebook. Drop us a line here, PwiPodcast at Outlook.com. We welcome your feedback. And uh, subscribe to the podcast uh, on iTunes or whatever, wherever else you get your podcasts. And actually, I think pretty soon we're coming up on our 100th episode. So uh, that's going to be a neat little milestone. It's been a blast uh, doing it for as long as we've been doing it. And if you don't want to miss an episode, uh, the thing to do, again, is to subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs>
2: All right, joined now by Dan. Forgive uh, the sound quality. We're both on our uh, phones trying to do this on uh, a lunch hour. but uh, So we tried to talk about this topic, and we didn't want to waste uh, any time. Um, so, Dan, what I want to talk uh, to you about was um, Okada Omega 4 from Dominion happened last week, uh, the latest match to be referred to as the greatest match of all time, um, and they've actually had uh, a few now. I'm um, curious to get get your thoughts on it. Uh, uh, briefly, my thoughts. I love the math. I thought it was fantastic. Um, would I say it's overrated? Maybe. Uh, and and that's not any kind of slight because, you know, now we're really talking a matter of, of personal taste. And do I think it's the greatest match of all time? I don't. It's, it's not, I don't think it's the best match I've seen this year. Uh, that doesn't mean anybody who thinks otherwise is wrong. Again, it, it's a matter of taste. One thing that I I do uh, really kind of object to, uh, and, and this is really I guess take an issue on with one person in particular, and that's Dave Meltzer, who I have all the respect in the world for, but kind of getting out of hand with the stars. Uh, Am I right? It's like you know, I think universally five stars is understood as uh, an an excellent match. Now you could have, yeah, that's uh, apparently
3: he went to seven. I, I've seen it online. I haven't seen the Observer. Proper,
2: but uh, that's what I've seen. As i said, yeah. I mean, it gets to be like Final Tap, right? I mean, this one goes <laughs> up to so eleven. You know, it's we get it. It's like the match is fantastic. You can that's where you explain, right? I mean, you could give the thing five stars and say it's the greatest match you've ever seen. I I don't know because then next time that there's a match that that he sees that starts in this one, now what? You have to make it eight stars and so on and so forth. I mean, I think that's a little bit ridiculous. But but anyway, you know, I thought it was fantastic. Uh have some issues uh, with it uh, that I'll go into in a moment. Curious to get your thoughts
3: on it. Well, first of all, to, to speak to your point about the star ratings and things like that, yeah, I, I mean, it's definitely overblown, and people put way too much um, into what what a rating is. It's a subjective thing. And I know it's silly saying that. I mean, we do the PWI 500, and people say that's a subjective thing. And, and any time that you're evaluating anything in pro wrestling is is somewhat subjective because it's not – You know, it's sports entertainment. It's not sport where you have these hard and fast statistics and you can say, this is what a guy's Corsi score is. This is his plus minus. This is his yards per carry whatever. Wrestling is its own unique kind of uh, beast. That being said, every match or every show has, say you've got eight matches matches on a card. You want to have a match that's a two-star or three-star. You don't want every match to be five-star. You have to know where your role is on the show in general. And when people really obsess about five star, five star, five star, uh, the guys who went out and, and like curtain jerked or, or set the tone or brought the crowd down or did that—they're all contributing to the show. And if you're just looking at the star ratings, it's—it's it's kind of silly. Um, you know, it, it's a good little barometer to say, okay, if I want to look at great matches, what are the great matches I ought to look up on, on YouTube? But a lot of times guys get in the ring, not looking to do a five-star match. They look to do what's right at the time to tell the next chapter of a story or whatever. So getting too hung up on the five-star component or whatever the star rating is, is silly. Uh, that yeah. being said, this match, very good. It was a main event. It was designed to be a blow away, you know, a steal the show type match. Went 64 minutes, best of three falls. Um Really good. Maybe the best match I've seen this year. Maybe not. Certainly not the best match I've ever seen. Uh, For me, I think that you need to have to to really make a match stand out. You need that larger than life stage, that atmosphere, the thing that as you're watching it, it just feels very special. Um, That was lacking. Dominion is, you know, kind of a a B-level uh, pay-per-view for, for New Japan compared to WrestleMania. It's maybe like
2: uh, a SummerSlam or something like that. I mean, it's, it's yeah. not WrestleMania, uh, but it, 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 you right. and it's... You're right, it's not that. Backlash.
3: Yeah. Right. No. Um,
2: yeah. So it, it's the best it's is it the best that you saw of the four? Four Omega Okada mm-hmm. matches? No. Well, it depends. I mean,
3: it's not my style of match, for one thing. Um, so it's like if you're going to go see a band that you're not really into and, and you can sit back and say, oh, well, I appreciate what they did. Like, that's cool. But what I, you know, it's, it's not my thing, really. Uh, a lot of the, uh, the storytelling was crazy. There is spike pile driver on the floor two count. I, I think during the, the course of the match, I think Okada hit four spike pile drivers and still ended up losing. I mean, th- there's just so much of of. of it's like when ECW was around back in the day, and I remember in 98, 99, 2000, watching ECW and seeing guys take seven, eight chair shots, go through tables, do whatever, and thinking at the time, man, like, how do you top this? Like, how can you how can you ever top what, what they're doing? It used to be one chair shot would be the end of a match. Now, you know, it's a one-count maybe. And... What ended up happening was hardcore went away for a long period of time until that, that began to have an effect again. We're seeing the same thing now with like these really athletic high impact spots. Where it's like, okay, if it takes what, six one winged angels, a bunch of tombstones, you got stuff outside the ring, you got whatever, one count, two count, two count, kick out. I mean, how how far can they go like this? Where do we go from here? So to that point, for me, it was way too cartoony and silly for my own liking. Uh, I appreciate how good it was, and the athleticism was off the charts, um, but but certainly I don't think it's the greatest match of all time.
2: Yeah, I, I'm uh, with you to an extent. Um, of the four O'Connor matches, it's not my favorite. My favorite is still uh, the, the original because it's the original, and that's, and that's always to it. Right. Uh, and like you, you said, it's the one that had the big stage. It had the Russell Kingdom stage the first time we saw those two and the one I think that was sort of the most neatly tied in a bow with Okada, the champion, uh, retaining, getting the clean pin, kind of establishing himself, uh, as the best. Uh, so, um, again, I thought sort of the, the tightest story, um, told and, and also a reasonable length. I mean, I, I love watching all the Oscar movies come Oscar season. And, um, the thing is, even a really great movie could be a little bit too long. I mean, I've seen movies that I've loved, that thought are fantastic, and I thought would be better a half hour shorter, you know, um, and that's that's where editing comes in. And this felt sometimes like a match that needed an editor, right? I mean, it is 65 minutes uh, or whatever it was, is a big ask for, for anyone, even if you're doing um, great work in there. So, but, but the benefit of it, I mean, each of these four matches, um, Told a story, and each of them benefited from the last because that kind of compounded the story, right? So the first match, as I said, is the first match. You have the story of the two going in there facing each other for the first time. Then the rematch builds off of the story in the first match, and the third match builds off of the other two and had um, the story of the G one and you know the the, the, the ramifications of, of either uh, winning or losing within the G one, and also a shorter time limit, and built off of the other two. And then this one had three other ones to build off of, Okada's historic reign, most title defenses, longest title, I mean, everything. So in, in that sense, I understand when people say it's the greatest match they've ever seen because it had this story that unfolded over a year and a half and over all these matches. Uh, so, so that's all, all great. Um, but part of the issue with it being as long um, as, as it was and the three-fall format. Uh, I think you touched on it, is it got to be a bit much with, you know, different than if you remember Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels, that, that match went about 65 minutes and also felt um, too long at times, but, but felt too long because to get that far, there was a lot of down, a uh, downtime, a lot of wrestled. There wasn't right. This was like really action pretty much throughout. I mean, maybe the first few minutes they, they, they kind of were ramping up, but, once they kicked into that high gear, it kind of stayed at that high gear throughout uh the the whole match. But because of that, you do get a little desensitized. I mean, I, I mean, how many times did I hear uh Kevin Kelly scream out, "Beatermaker, the top rope, from the outside, over and over and over and over," and it was just huge move on top of huge move on top of huge move. Everyone just hitting their finisher or attempting to finisher. How many attempted rainmakers were, uh, were there? One and then another and then 13, another and then another. Yeah. <laughs> just a million. Yeah, I mean, and he didn't hit, he only hit the one, I think. Um, so and and again, it really is a matter of taste. I mean, I'm not about to say I know better than, than some of the people who have called this the greatest match of all time. And uh look, I'm a huge Bon Jovi fan and people crack up, you know, right? I mean, there's a few bands that in, in some people's eyes have less legitimacy than them. To me, there are these brilliant, you know, songwriters and, and artists, and it doesn't make me wrong. It doesn't make you wrong for thinking uh, otherwise. It really is a matter of pace. Um, I've seen it, it, my own personal taste uh, certainly better matches in my lifetime. And, better ma- and, and what I could say is I've uh, enjoyed other matches this year more than this one. The one that comes to mind was uh, Gargano and sing Almas at the January uh, NXT takeover. I thought that was fantastic. Still the best thing I've seen um this year uh but yeah again you can't argue with someone who i I mean again and we're we're talking about inches here right this is still absolute elite world-class um work uh let's talk about sort of the big ramifications you know where what does this mean for each of them uh certainly we've been having a lot of conversation about what this means in in putting together our, our pwi uh 500 fair to say Okada and Omega were are always in the conversation in or, in and around um that, that top area. Uh you know, There's I think is some reevaluating with uh Omega now finally winning the big one, winning the, the IWTP title, having uh, uh beat Okada now twice during the, the evaluation period. And I thought, thought about it, actually he did three times because essentially he did twice in the same match um in, in this match. So um what does this mean to for for Kenny Omega? I mean, is, is he in in the conversation as really the, the the best in in the world right now and uh, uh, past as, as, as right now? Historically, uh, he's really doing something special in in Japan. A a North American worker going over there and and um, really kind of igniting something special out there. And even back here, you know, I and, and I can't help but wonder. Vince McMahon, Triple H, watching from afar, what they think of all this?
3: Well, there's there's a lot with that. Uh, first of all, okay, uh, you, it, it's whether or not this is the greatest match of all time, that's debatable to to a degree. Obviously, it's debatable. Things like that are subjective. The athleticism, like I said, was off the charts. There was a lot of great things about the match, and certainly I would give it a five-star. Maybe a five-and-a-half star if the star ratings really are, are your thing, whatever. Um the thing is, it's definitely one of the greatest feuds, one of the greatest rivalries in the ring. And it's right up there with, say, one of the benchmarks of great rivalries is Ricky Steamboat Ric Flair. Um, I personally think in the 90s that uh, AJ Styles and Christopher Daniels were on that same part, uh when they were going at it. And then when they added Samoa Jones in the three ways, that, that kind of raised the bar a little bit too. But for a one-on-one rivalry, I love that Daniels-AJ Styles. I think that what we have here with Okada and Omega is the next, this generation's version of that great rivalry. And the thing is, sometimes the rivalry is what makes somebody great. Uh, Ricky Steamboat, once he won the NWA title from Ric Flair, he fell into a swamp. He was a great challenger. Everybody wanted to see him finally beat Flair, but he kind of made for a lousy champion. Um, that's what I kind of expect out of uh, Omega. Uh, Omega the, the, the chase has been a great story it's taken a long period of time he finally got to that level um, you know in terms of a champion how I don't know he, he seems like he's been positioned as the contender for so long for the, the main title um, and I, I think that having finally reached that goal it brings him down a little bit I don't think he'd be able maybe against Naito okay that's that's a good rivalry after that, I don't see a lot of really great marquee matches other than maybe Tanahashi, but Tanahashi stepped down a little I mean, bit. Yeah. yeah Jericho's good. not likely Jericho's not yeah. likely to show up again for months, uh, from from what I'm hearing. Um and again, he already they already had that match. And that match was,
2: is is the one I guess that they'd be building towards uh, putting two of them up and, and do That will be a huge main event at some point.
3: I don't think it would. I, I, I don't see that as being. I don't see Ibushi as having that star power. Right. I mean, he, he certainly does. He's in the conversation, but I don't see him as being an Okada or an Aito or or that that A plus main event player. Um, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe if, if it develops, he can he can do it. But I think that they kind of uh, you know went all in. No pun intended, but went all in on Omega as as winning the title. And I expect a relatively brief reign, two or three title defenses, and I think he'll drop it. Like, I, I think he'll defend against back Cody. Okada. Uh, I don't think he'll go right back to Okada, uh, maybe Naito, and then back to Okada that way. I think that Okada will end up with that title again within a year's time um, because he is the the, the franchise player of, of New Japan right now. Yeah, and he's, he's only little, going to get better.
2: No, he's not. Yeah. Yeah, he, he's a guy who like, has at least another five, ten years uh, on top of yeah.
3: yeah. he, He's still in his prime. He can still develop a lot more, and I think that we'll get the belt back on him sooner rather than later. So yeah. right now, well, maybe he's on top of the world. That's great. Do I consider him the best in the world? No. Is, is, is he in a conversation with the best in the past 12 months? Certainly. Um, but, you know, right now I, I think he's reached the peak, and he's uh, about to hit the precipice.
2: Yeah, yeah. I think it's a really interesting take, you know, uh, because when – and none of it is to undercut uh, how, how uh, terrific Omega is. But when um, people talk about his his greatness, um, you know, I, I guess the point is he's had a number of matches that now people have called the greatest match of all time. They've all been against the same guy, right? So uh-huh. and, and I think that goes to so your point is that at some point we, we need to see him – um, branch out from that. That said, I think people were saying the same thing about Okada a couple of years back when when Tanahashi sort of passed the torch to him and he was kind of young, the young gun who was on the chase for a long time, You know, had had a few matches for Tanahashi where he kept on coming up short and finally won the big one and um, remember a time where the, the biggest feud, the Flair Steamboat uh, rivalry in Japan was Tanahashi-Okada and people thought we'll never get something uh, better than, than that and I remember um, that Wrestle Kingdom, I think it was Wrestle Kingdom 9 maybe, uh, fans crying in the audience and, and all that uh, over their uh, big main event. Uh, and then Okada, Omega, eclipsed that. So I do think the situation where you've, you you got to give it some time, uh, but you're right. I mean, o- Omega now has to, um, to really sort of solidify himself as among the greats in Japan, uh, now has to, Deliver outside of Okada, and and not that he has it. I mean, the guy sure had a terrific match with Jericho. He's had some um, exciting uh, uh, type team matches with with Ibushi and the Bullet Club, um, and Cody and others. Uh, but yeah, we have to start seeing some of those four star, five star performances, um, and and getting some some distance, some space from uh, Okada. Uh, but said that, all that said, you got to imagine sometime at some point. They end up doing it again, um, and you got to imagine that that title ends up back on on uh, Okada. And uh, the the issue with the two of them, uh, as, as far as again who is really sort of the franchise over there, and one of it is if uh, I brought up WWE, you know, what what does this mean? Of the two, you'd think WWE would be have more interest in Omega, if only because you've got a North American who speaks the language. Uh, can it, they would say easier for fans to connect to uh, that kind of thing? So you've got to think at some time, at some point, they they make the the, the big play to lure him in, and uh, it's, it's I think more likely will, that Okada stays where he is.
3: Well, I think that they'll definitely make WWE will try to get Kenny Omega. I mean, they're already they're mentioning him on their website with the whole thing with the New Day playing the, the video games at the what if the. E3, EC3, whatever the hell that summit is mm-hmm. that's going on, the video game thing. Um, like, I mean, it, when Blessed have a new Japan champion or any champion, uh, recognized heavyweight world champion, to, for lack of a better term, it has been mentioned by WWE.com or by WWE, even in kind of an oblique way. I mean, he, the, the, they definitely, the, there's some connections with WWE. WWE would probably love to have him. I think Omega would flop in WWE. Something terrible. Um, I mean, if you ever watch, like Omega, his, his he he comically oversells everything he does, uh, from his facial expressions to his vocalizations to everything he does, and he can get away with it in Japan because uh, it's he, he's different because everyone else is very stoic there. It's the Japanese culture, the strong style. Um, the thing is, he he if you put him in WWE. He just looks like he's a goof. I I think that that would really be magnified. Um, Jim Cornette had a line about it at one point where he said that he was, uh, I forget, like a really hammy performer or something along those lines. And it's basically the kind of thing that Cornette would always say if a guy like that walked into OVW. It's like, man, this kid's never going to make it because he he doesn't take it seriously and it comes off that he's having a goof. Um, yeah. maybe that's a little bit too over the top or too strict, but I, I see it. I definitely see it. Um, that, that Omega just, which is just kind of ridiculous. Uh, again, it, it works well in new Japan in WWE, where you're, you're, you know, you have high depth, the cameras right there, you're on TV, you're already in the ring with a bunch of kind of larger than life performers. I, I think it's going to look way campier than, than it does in new Japan. And I think that he'd be a guy that would be all right, you're an intercontinental champion, you're a mid-card guy, Uh, you're our new Dolph Ziggler, you know, have
2: fun with it. Yeah, I I, to some extent um, agree with you. And I do think that there are American um, or North American accents in in, uh, Omega's case that work better in Japan than here. The the one that comes to mind was um, uh, Gallows and Anderson. I remember when they were in in Japan and they were tearing it up, they were stopping the tag team and, and all that, and then the talk came, Uh, About them coming over to WWE, and I thought instantly, this is not going to work. You know, you know, we had Doc Gallows years years, uh, ago, and again, not not to undercut their ability and and what they bring to the table, but um, in Japan they're the big, intimidating American um, um, tag team. Uh, In WWE, they're just kind of these ordinary-looking guys who work well enough, but I mean. don't really stand out, um, and uh, I agree. I think Omega is uh, terrific. I, I wonder if it's a situ- situation kind of like AJ Styles, even though I do think that Styles brings more to the, the table. I always thought he'd be um, a, a better fit in WWE than maybe thought he, they thought he he would be. I think they saw a guy who was undersized and had um, the Southern accent, and and they just didn't get it. But I knew Styles could adapt. And I think Omega could adapt too, but I think Omega, um, like, lifestyles, styles, like Nakamura, like so many others, if, if you have to tone it down, um, a lot, it loses a lot. Right. So, uh, Omega not being at 10, being at maybe seven or eight, uh, it's not worth as much. I don't, I don't think, you know, and, and he would have to do kind of what, what styles did, which is, uh, kind of really go out on, on his own and win over the fans and uh, the decision makers there. So you remember when Styles came in, they had him with Jericho kind of upper mid-card. They had the corny, what was not the, the the redneck bulldog, or whatever it was, the pit bull, you know. Um, they didn't quite get it. But then he went out there and they just had great performance after great performance and won over the fans and they couldn't help but um, go all the way with him. Uh, Omega would kind of have to do the same thing but as i think you're touching on i don't know that he can i don't you know i i think aj um is more well rounded uh and and kind of even even being older than omega uh had kind of more of an upside uh but maybe i'm wrong there i mean i certainly there are people who will tell you omega is is one of the greats of all time um i i, I think both are cases we're not completely won over. You know?
3: Yeah, and I think you said a good thing. You used a word in there that, that is really meaningful. It was adapt. Um, the thing is, a guy can be great in anywhere else. Wrestling in WWE is a different piece.
2: Um, Nakamura, I think. I mean, just look at Nakamura's career uh, uh, trajectory since coming over here, whatever it's been, a year ago.
3: Yeah, and he's. I think he's handled it fairly well. He's definitely lost his steps since coming over, but... Um, his he, he transition, his ring style hasn't looked that much different um, other than the sudden propensity for low blows and whatever. But uh, there are some other guys who th- they've done really well. And say Styles, say Samoa Joe, say somebody like Omega theoretically. Um, you'll look at them and, and, and you'll say, you know, they're not ready for WWE. They're, 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 they're very good on the indies and we will have to do. Kevin Owens is one too. Uh, again, a Jim Cornettism. Um, when Kevin Owens was in Ring of Honor and Jim Cornett was always, always on in, and it was the storyline that Jim Cornett was management and Kevin Owens was, you know, exactly what you didn't want to be as a wrestler. And I, I know that critically that storyline went badly and there's some build, bad blood between Cornett and Owens, but I thought it was fantastic storytelling at the time. I really liked that storyline. The thing is, Owens then goes to WWE and has to work his way through developmental. And he did have to adapt because the Kevin Owens that was working in Ring of Honor, a lot of stuff he was doing there just wouldn't really fly in WWE. He had to change his style to adapt to WWE. Samoa Joe had to change his style to adapt to WWE. There are some similarities, but if you watch his matches on the Indies and in Impact and TNA and watch in, in WWE, you can definitely see that he's taken a lot of stuff out. And what he's doing, he's doing a little bit better stronger. He's working the camera more. He's more polished and refined. AJ was one of the rare guys who didn't have to go through developmental to go through that process. He was able to just kind of get on the main roster and his, his work carried him through. Believe it or not, wrestling can still get over on its own and it did with AJ. A guy like Kenny Omega, I think he'd have to spend a lot of time in developmental because he would really have to change a lot of what he does now to fit in with today's wwe and once you polish him too much it's going to take away like you were saying everything that makes him special so again you know i, I think appreciate him and what he's doing in the platform he has in new japan that's great whether or not he gets to wwe maybe he will at some point because it's a better payday theoretically i don't know what he's making over there but I, I don't think that you'll ever see the quality of work that he's doing now in the wwe ring. yeah yeah
2: so uh Kind of taking this to to uh, uh, a logical uh, next uh, uh, conversation here. Um, Money in the bank is this Sunday. I've heard from a lot of people who watched New Japan uh, on on Saturday and then tuned into Raw on Monday, and it's like you can get with It It's it's difficult, right? Uh, uh, because it's it's such a change, and. Uh, I don't know, coincidentally or not, I think at the same time that New Japan is putting on uh, what people are talking about, one of the, the best shows they've ever put on, um, Raw, uh, not just for WWE for the last few weeks, building up some money in the bank, I think has put on some of the worst TV that uh, certainly of, of this year, maybe the last several years. What what they do badly, um, they're doing a lot of and doing worse than ever. You know, I think of opening Raw with everybody standing on a ladder, it's this incredibly unnatural a kind of presentation of, of building rivalries that these overly scripted promos that, you know, that that's loaded with these lines that writers think are clever, but nobody talks that way, you know, uh, some of the flip-ups with, with uh, Ronda Rousey in the last few weeks, the, the, the Sammy Zane, uh, Bobby Lashley stuff, the angle with with The Miz getting the the briefcase and opening it, and there's pancakes inside. Uh, Just incredibly awful stuff. It almost feels deliberate. It almost feels like WWE trolling um, fans who were maybe talking a lot about uh, New Japan over the the last few days and last several weeks. Um, Is is there a, a, a lesson there? I mean, what can WWE take away from presentation of, of New Japan, is there any hope that that they will? I mean, could there be the day that w- we see something on the par of, uh, and I've seen great WWE matches, but it, it's less even about the match quality, more about the presentation. Um, and you think about fans crying in the audience, literally, uh, at the end of the, that match with Omega and Okada. And uh, I, I, I can't remember when the last time that I was so invested in a WWE match that I even had much, I mean, the matches I've enjoyed, uh, and certainly in NXT, uh, but but in sort of WWE proper, I mean, being that invested in in the match, you know.
3: Yeah, here's the thing. I mean, our last call or or our last podcast or two podcasts ago, um, we talked about the new deal with Fox. I mean, WWE's making so much money. It doesn't, what's their have to do anything? They don't have to change. I mean, if the fans – because here's the thing. I mean, as much as fans who talk about New Japan, love New Japan, will say lip service to say, like, oh, I don't watch WWE, I watch New Japan. But those fans will be the first ones to complain about what happened on Monday Night Raw. So apparently they are watching. I mean, so the thing is, WWE's got those fans. They're not going anywhere. Uh, So they don't have to appease them. I mean, as long as there's kids who are still going out there and – and, and cheering for the new day and and, and popping for pancake spots or whatever. That's as long as Fox is willing to give them billions of dollars, then they don't need to have a guy like Omega and Okada go out there for 64 minutes, risk life and limb when they can go out there and do a WWE style match in 12 minutes, take four or five bumps, maybe and do it four or five times a week, as opposed to, you know, Okada doing five title defenses a year. And wow, wow, look at all these title defenses. That's a WWE champion in in 10 days. Um, You know, it's just a completely different thing. WWE is not going to change to appease the hardcore fans. Uh, The only thing that this might do, um, and and this will be something that we saw happen really in the 90s uh, a lot. Um, You had in the 90s, the Cruiserweights take off. You had the Eddie Guerrero's and Chris Benoit's and those... Those guys before they made their name in WWE and eventually became WWE champions, but those guys influenced a generation of wrestlers who wanted to be the next Eddie Guerrero, and the next Chris Benoit, and all of a sudden the guys that you saw on the indies they weren't six foot four muscle heads who were coming in, or former bouncers, or guys with beer bellies who were trying to get into wrestling to be the next Hulk Hogan, Ultimate Warrior. They were these young athletic guys who are trying to be the next Eddie Guerrero, Chris Benoit, cruiserweight type. And what happened is the entire sport changed over a period of time. If guys like Omega and Okada can influence the new generation to be like, I want to be more like Ricochet. I want to be more like Will Ospreay. I want to be more like Omega or Okada. Then regardless of whether or not WWE wants to embrace it, once they see that that's the new talent that's out there, that's the the wave of the future, they'll eventually get with it. Um, you know, we'll probably still, you know, compensate that by putting it against whatever version of the big show exists 10 years from now yeah. um, and balance things out a little bit. But I don't think WWE is going to try to change their strategy based on what's getting over elsewhere. What will happen is that what's getting over elsewhere is going to influence the guys who will go on to WWE in the future.
2: Yeah, yeah, I think that's, that's well said. And I was I was going to ask you, what do you think uh, WWE would look like with more of a New Japan approach? And then it sort of struck me that we know what it would look like. It would look like NXT. I mean, NXT, um, I think, does have a lot in common with, in terms of presentation. And I'm not just talking about match styles, but I'm talking about sort of uh, tone uh, and that kind of thing. But if, if WWE, if, if Raw, SmackDown, did away with a, a lot of this stuff that, that you know, us and, and other types of. Uh, other fans, insider fans, uh, for lack of a better word, are constantly driving with. If um, they put forth a more serious presentation, do you think it would do worse? Do you think they would lose viewers?
3: Yeah, I do. I think they would. Um, I mean, if they went, you can win over a different audience. I mean, you could, if you made things as athletic and real as possible, then you could win over fans who, who want to see wrestling presented like a, a real sport. Um, you will lose the fans who are into the personalities and the storylines and things like that. If you go with the kind of, uh, I mentioned Ricochet and Osprey and, and other guys like that, or even the Okada Omega match where you have 60-minute matches with all these multiple falls, you'll, you'll cultivate an audience, but that's not accessible to uh, mainstream America and kids. Yeah. And, and here's my brother go to visit your parents and say, Hey, I want to show you something and play Omega versus Okada for 64 minutes. And you see how long it takes before your mom or dad is like, come on, we're,
4: I, how long is uh, yeah, this yeah. Going? Can we turn yeah, the yeah, live
3: this on? Right. If you do yeah, the same yeah. thing with kids, the kids are out in another room playing after about 10 minutes. So it's not accessible to middle America and WWE. Is.
2: Yeah, I think it's a really good point. And, and in fact, um, you know, I, I, I heard about how great uh, Okada Vega uh, was. I, I didn't see it in real time. I saw it later. And so hearing this might be the greatest match of all time, I sat down to watch it. I called my kids. Hey, okay, come come watch. You know, this match will be fantastic. And forget about it. I mean, they, they could not, you know, uh, uh, it it did not keep their attention. And um, I kind of didn't blame them. There were times that couldn't keep mine just because it, it went so uh, long. And... um I think, you know, for better or for worse, opening a briefcase full of of pancakes would get their attention. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I think there is something in between, right? I mean, I don't think... And I wouldn't advocate for for WWE to become New Japan tomorrow. Um, I think what is in between is probably closer to NXT. I mean, certainly in terms of the production value and and all of that, uh, it is a WWE uh, presentation, and I think they do enough to develop storylines and personalities and that kind of thing. It's just sort of the worst of the silliness um, isn't there, you know. Um, and more than anything, it's the the overscripting. You know, I, I remember Roger Rousey saying something a week or two ago. He brought up something about pressure, and she said, uh, pressure is what builds up behind a bullet in the chamber of a gun or something like that. And somebody sat um, down and wrote that and thought it was so clever, Uh, and it is clever, but nobody talks that way. I mean, it's it's so incredibly unnatural. That's the stuff that just drives me nuts.
3: Here's the thing, though. WWE has this thing where they're hiring writers, and you and I are both writers. I mean, so I I appreciate that. I want to see writers get work, Uh, but they're hiring TV writers for the most part, and these TV writers are not people who are really in demand. I mean, they're not stealing writers from Hollywood or from top TV shows. You're feeling writers from soap operas and a bunch of, you know, whatever. So you're bringing in writers who are at best clever, at worst, extremely hacky. And then they all have to go through the process of Vincent man has to approve this. And Vincent man has his own unique sense of humor. You know, that's, it doesn't matter what you bring to the table. It it all has to go through committee and, and that's how it goes. So what you've got is this process where you've got mediocre writing talents, writing for wrestlers who, you know, they're just, trying to be their character, trying to do what they need to do to, to stand TV and, and do their thing, being approved by middle management. And, I mean, yeah. that's, that's, that's a corporate entertainment company. And that's what you're yeah. going to
2: get. Yeah, I think it, it, the, the problem is uh, in looking to scripted television shows for dialogue versus looking to just real life for, for dialogue. And that's always that that kind of balance they're trying to, to find of whether uh, – you know, presenting it as, as sport or presenting it as scripted television, um, you know, but look at uh, uh, a UFC rivalry uh, and when two guys in, in UFC, you know, John Jones and Daniel Cormier being probably the hottest feud ever in UFC a couple of years uh, back and into last year, um, look at when they'd have the two of them together in Sports Center or something like that and how they talk to each other. That's how people who don't like each other and want to beat each other up talk to each other, you know. Uh, and and it's not talking about pressure building up behind a bullet in the chamber of a gun, you know. Uh, it, it's, uh, and, and some guys, um, to their credit, navigate around this. I mean, the one guy who, who comes to mind is, is Samoa Joe. And I think Samoa Joe has said some real garbage lately too, but does his best to make it work, um, through the body language, through, uh, his his tone, how he delivers everything, he looks like a legit angry guy who uh, just really wants to, to beat somebody up. Um, but but it's tough. And, and you know, there was uh, a Rhonda doing announcing a couple of weeks ago, and uh, that was just a mess, you know, tripping over each other, repeating scripted lines, and uh, just the most unnatural thing in the world. And it, it, it's tough when um, you, you are trying to script people to speak naturally. And, and that in and of itself is a contradiction, right? I mean, if you want people to speak naturally, just have them speak. Um, and, and and it's not to say don't give them bullet points or, or that kind of thing, but uh, the, it, it, I wish they would do away with that whole experiment. I feel like they've tried it. It doesn't work. Some people, uh, some wrestlers talk about how they really appreciate it. I think um, a, a type of wrestler will, will like it and, um, you know, I, I, I think some wrestlers, it, it's not to call out their, their work ethic, um, because certainly in, in the ring, they can have tremendous work ethic, but they're ones who just don't want to be bothered with that stuff. I think they're happier to just be given some lines and read it, and I'll worry about putting my match together in the ring, that, that kind of thing. Right. And it's funny that you bring that up, because literally just this week, I stopped out at my
3: little corner gin mill. and. Sat down at the bar for a little bit, the, the bartender working. It was a woman, 40, 31 years old, came over and started talking to me. And she started talking about wrestling. She doesn't follow wrestling, but she's got kids. They watch wrestling. One of the first things she said to me, she said, have you heard Ronda Rousey lately? Like she's saying things that just don't make any sense. Like, it, it's like she's reading lines and something. like, and this is a, a super casual fan who's picking up on that right away. And it's like, we all know Ronda Rousey. Like we all heard her talk on on ESPN and everything else. Like this doesn't sound like her. How come she's just such a different person in WWE? Well, there's no real answer for that. And yeah. people wanna, and creative, wanna get their hands on it and and, and make it work. But yeah, everybody's seeing that and it's, uh, it's kind of impossible to miss.
1: All right, back here uh, again, and wanted to thank Dan for the conversation, as always. uh, Right now, let's go to the interview I conducted uh, just a little while ago. Again, the name of the book is Don't Call Me Fake, and this is Dr. D, David Schultz. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm good. Good to talk to you. You sound very uh, chipper. I know it's earlier where you are than where I am.
0: Oh, yeah. I'm out here just sitting here. Where are you at?
1: I am in New York, Long Island. Oh, Your yeah. You're old stopping grounds.
0: Yeah, a nice little neighborhood. I was there last week, and, uh, you know, I'm, now I'm back down here in Tennessee in the woods, just got through mowing about 25 acres of bush hogging, and now I'm trying to figure out what else
1: to do. <laughs> <laughs> I heard uh, just mentioning uh, Long Island. Uh, you wrestled uh, Ric Flair out here for the championship? Yeah, we used to wrestle all through there,
0: uh, you know uh not national national coliseum that's not out there right
1: yeah it is sure yep
0: that's on island okay yeah oh yeah I was there several times that and uh other ones, you know, you, you do so many of them, you forget over the years, you know. That was a long time ago. Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. I heard uh, you talked about uh, wrestling in one of the raceways or something out here with Flair.
0: Yes, I did. Uh, Roosevelt, Belmont, Rosa, Roosevelt Raceway or Belmont Raceway yeah, somewhere. Yeah. Roosevelt's it's okay.
1: over by, I guess, Westbury. And they used to, yeah, I heard they used to have shows there. That's right yep. before my time. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, good to have you. I'm Rob um, I'm liable to show up where. <laughs> <laughs> what were you doing out here uh, last week? Was it that that convention that was over at the Coliseum?
0: Yeah, I was down. Oh, yeah, in Monroe, uh, Monroe, New Jersey. Okay. I was there, and then we went to some place on Long Island, a uh, radio station over there. I okay. don't know where it's at. Or where it, well, I, you know, I booked the car, took me over there, booked me off, and. Then took me back, you know. Yeah. Uh, so I can tell you where it was or how to get there. I know it was just a lot of traffic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that is New I guess that Belmont was going on or whatever. That's you know. right, the
1: Belmont stakes. And, you were here for that, yeah, yeah. Yes. When Belmont, when you do those yeah. conventions and you see a lot of old faces uh, from from the past, oh, yeah. what's that like? Do, yes. do you like that? Does it bring you back to old times?
0: Well, you know uh, what was good about it was you know as I walked in there I see all these old faces and. You know, nobody ever called me or got with me in the last 35 years or whatever since, you know, the John Stossel incident. And I started seeing these people. And uh, Tommy Rich, you know, uh, we used to uh, work together in Memphis, Tennessee, and he won the championship, the youngest champion ever. Uh, Lawler, uh, we used to be tag team partners, seeing him. He was just thrilled to see me. He said he'd been trying to get in touch with me. I was like, well, you, you wrestle right next to me over there where I live. You know where I live, Jerry. Oh, I forgot there. Yeah, right. Okay. <laughs> and then uh Johnny Rodge, you know, Johnny Rodge a great guy up there in New York, got his own wrestling school and uh, you know, we used to have some hellacious fights. You know, Johnny was a tough guy, man. And uh, I enjoyed working with him. And then uh there was Bill Eady. he was there. Uh Greg Valentine, of course, he was there. And uh, all these guys were over here hugging my neck and grabbing me and said, "Dog, man, we ain't seen you in so long. Well, yeah, uh, okay, not my fault. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, But yeah. anyway, Gene, me and Gene was there, and me uh, and Gene did say something to me like, uh, it was a disgrace what happened to you, David. It- but you got to understand that what happened to you and nobody spoke up for you or anything because if they spoke up, they lost their job yeah. immediately. So I said, I understand that. and There's no big problem. I don't, you know, I don't hold no grudges. I know people are going to make a living. And, uh, I had to go out and make a new living after all that and became one of the world's greatest bounty hunters
1: yeah. of all time. <laughs> and uh, in, in, in some <laughs> cases, were the, first, the, was this the first time, you were seeing some of these guys since way back when, in, in 35 years? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I haven't seen some of them in 40 years. There, Yeah, uh, I know Tommy and then uh, Stacey
0: Smothers were there, and then, uh, you know, I forget some of their names, but there's so many of them, and they all, uh, I mean, it was, uh, it was so gratifying to see that these people actually remembered me, and they said, yeah, hey, we won't ever forget you. You're yeah. a legend, man. Everybody remembers you. Everybody knows you. You've been gone forty years, and look at you. You got to line out the door wanting an autographs and buy your book and take pictures with you. And you've been gone forty years, and these other guys have been active all that time, and it acts like they're uh, some of them look like the Maytag salesman sitting over there. <laughs> of course, you wouldn't know what I'm talking about I if Maytag you're that Taylor. young. <laughs> okay, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know even you know and i'm over there just working 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 hard signing autographs and taking pictures and all that and these people i I couldn't imagine how popular i would have been if eventually man hadn't ruined my career yeah well let's talk about that That, that, that's exactly
1: what what i wanted to get into and and obviously it's a subject of your book and you know, you put your name in Wikipedia, and it's like the first thing that comes out, right? I mean, that that incident with John Stossel back in, in nineteen eighty four on twenty twenty when he slapped him um, is is one of the most legendary moments uh, in wrestling. And as you touched on, it it made you a, a legend. But very often, incidents like that that really create someone's stardom result in them making a lot more money, becoming uh, uh, bigger stars, become more popular. And in, in your case, it, as you touched on, it pretty much ended your career. So uh, it's this this weird situation where on on one hand it's what what made you a legend on the other hand, you were never really able to cash in on that right so um when when you look back on that as the thing that you were most remembered for is it is it positive is it a point of pride that you are that guy who stood up for the business and 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 put a reporter in his place um or do you regret it and and as you touched on, do you wonder? how much more money you could have made, how much longer you could have been in the business if that never happened?
0: No, I don't regret it. And, uh, you know, Vince had it in his mind to get rid of me. He wanted me out of there. Hogan wanted me out of there. And this was one way for him to set me up and get me out of there. And I've been told by different people that that's what he was up to the whole time. I don't know, but that's what I figure. I know Vince told me I did a great job. I did exactly what he wanted me to do. And then later on, he wanted me to take the blame for the whole incident, and I said, no, 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 no. You told me what to do. I did what you told me to do. Nobody goes out and interviews anybody unless you got the word from Vince McMahon, or Caesar, they called him. And everybody in the dressing room heard this guy tell me, go out, blast him, tear his ass up, stay in character, Dr. D. And everybody seen John Stossel try two or three times to interview me, not just the one you always see, or talk about, there was other interviews there with John Stossel where he tried to talk to me, and he couldn't handle it, which, you know, they ended up on the cutting room floor, and I have a copy of the tape also. But uh, this guy comes out, and, uh, you know, he's out there. He talked about being a, uh, a collegiate wrestler and all that, this right here. Oh, my God, he must have been a terrible collegiate wrestler. But he had a talk show. Uh, John Stossel did, and here about a, a couple of years ago, he come out on his talk show and he said, you know, he did a show on scams and scam artists and all that, and he said I was part of that here a while back. Uh, a wrestler named Doctor D david Schultz hit me, did this here, did this here. But you know what? My injuries were durosomatic, which John Stossel said this now on his live TV show, and he said when I got paid, I had no more injuries, no more pain. I hurt no more. And what people don't know, the New York Athletic Commission doctor there that night said there was nothing wrong with John Stossel. He had no damage to his ears or anything, which I didn't touch his ears. It was just something he brought up, said I hit him in his ear. No, uh-uh, no didn't get nowhere near his ears. But I was told later on his brother, the doctor or something up in Massachusetts somewhere, and he said that he had permanent ear damage. Of course, it was a ripoff, it was a scam. And this guy lied on federal depositions. This man lied on federal depositions. And you can't tell two people that was in the same building uh, concerned or talking about the same thing have two different stories. Yeah. One of them's got to be a liar. Yeah, I've heard, he nobody, said
1: that he, I've heard he said that he regrets filing that lawsuit. I'm sorry? I've heard he said that he regrets filing that lawsuit.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean yeah, you know, he never filed a lawsuit against me, see. Again, I never sternly. was charged with a crime or anything. Vince McMahon's the one that was sued, and Vince McMahon the one that paid him four hundred and twenty five thousand dollars. I had nothing to do with it, had nothing to say about it, was never uh, contacted, never went to the courtroom, never did it, never had any association with it. And then Vince comes back and says, Oh, you gotta pay me four hundred and twenty five thousand dollars.
1: Oh really? Wow. Wow. Yeah, I
0: don't think so. <laughs> and, you know, and after seven years fighting him in court, finally uh, my lawyer sold me out, of course. That's what lawyers do. You know, I'm sure that's what happened because he dropped me and told me I was going to have to get another lawyer after seven years, and I done paid him all kind of money. And I guess Vince told him that I would never get a dime from him. He'd let me uh, rot Before I ever got a dime, he'd uh, uh, he'd always appeal it or whatever. Anyway, that all went down, and finally uh, our agreement was Vince McMahon would never use my picture, my name, my likeness, or anything about me, any tapes, anything ever again. Well, I guess he lied there, too, because it's all over the Internet and all over the the, the Wikipedia and all this stuff, uh, WWF, which... You know, you can. Everybody asks me, why don't you do something about it? Now, let me tell you, you can't sue a billionaire if you're not a billionaire. Yeah. And I'm not a billionaire, so <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I just, I just uh, let him do what he's got to do and uh, go ahead. Sorry. I mean uh, That's all right. No, Russia. no. You,
1: you, you mentioned how uh, you you didn't slap John Stossel uh, in the ear. So let me ask you about this. Something I never really thought of before. You being a professional, you being um, trained in how to make something look more painful uh, than it is, how much control did you have in that slip slap? Did did you just wail away and smack him, or it, even in that moment, did you exercise some control about how much force, location, all of that uh, you, you laid it in with?
0: Well, oh, I barely slapped him. I if I hit him in anger, he's still in the hospital. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, he, he didn't get hurt. He didn't get hit hard enough to do anything. He just took advantage of it and whined and cried and and, uh, he got four hundred twenty-five thousand dollars for that. And I think he felt bad about it. I've tried to go on his show several times and they said, oh, we can work a deal. You come on the show. I said, the only way I come on the show is live. got to be live. I'm not going to let you come on there and cut everything up and leave it on the cutting room floor and make it seem like I'm saying something that I didn't say. Yeah. Yeah. You know, That'd live. that great television, and wow. We, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he just, you know, he'd been offered several times to have me on the show. He, he'd been contacted by several different people. Oh, no, no, I'm not interested in uh, talking to him about that. No, yeah. I guess you're not. So there's a lot of things that nobody knows about what he did. He was in a professional wrestling ring with a professional wrestler, and the guy told him, don't go near Schultz. Yeah. He's the main one. Don't say nothing to him because he will take you down. And, and John said, well, uh, you know, why is he so bad? Well, he is bad, and he will take you down. And uh, here he comes. But after he does that, he knew that when he'd come there, when he said that, what was going to happen. You know. And Vince told me what to do, and I always did what my boss told me to do. I've always been that way. I'm just a good old country boy. You know, and everybody said, oh, this guy's out of control. No, no, no. Everything that I did, I was told to do. It was none of this stuff that I did it on my own. I was told to do it. And, you know, like weddings and all those things was all Vince McMahon's uh, conjuring up for me to do, to make me look bad. And the worse I look, the more money we make, you know.
1: Yeah. So so again, you losing your job sometime after that and then watching where uh, pro wrestling and the WWF went from there with WrestleMania and WrestleMania three and, you know, through the 80s, the boom period and then even into the 90s when you were still a relatively young man and seeing the business get where it did and the heights that it reached and, and the money there was to be made and just kind of watching from from the sidelines. Um, were, were you just stewing? I mean, did did that really kind of uh, cause a resentment in you?
0: No, no. I, I was I was completely, after nobody talked to me, nobody helped me, nobody come forward to step up and help me. No wrestlers. All the people that I wrestled with, worked with, all the promoters, nobody helped me do anything. I wrestled overseas Steve Light and then I became a bounty hunter. And then after, you know, I did that for 17, 18 years. And then I went to Poland for, and worked for Sikorsky Aircraft as an engineer for three years.
4: Mm-hmm. And
0: then when I got back home, I was there, uh, you know, I had a tractor trailer. I'd run the roads a while, and then I just quit. I just was going to relax. And then everybody started contacting me, want, want me to come to these conventions, wanting me to do this. And I really didn't want to go. And then I met with John Cosper, and he offered to do my book. I've been trying to get to do the book several times. Vince put a hold on one book that I was going to do, uh, and that kind of told me I can't talk about Vince McMahon or I can't talk about anything that's going to hurt him or anybody else because he's going to squash it. And so I just want to talk about me and what I've done and how I've come about, how I evolved through all this to become a better person. But uh, I'm, I was I was completely happy, and I'm completely – I don't have no regrets from slapping John Stossel. I'd like to have him out here and have him in a pair of underwear and get me one of these little bushes and switch his legs for about a half mile running down through here where to just scream and holler the whole time, you know. Yeah. I'll tell you. People just take advantage when they get something like it. I mean, you know, and I've always found out he knows he was wrong, and he knows that he was part of the setup on me, or either he was set up also properly, and it was all done through Vince McMahon. Vince McMahon wanted to get rid of me. Hogan didn't want to work with me no more in the ring. He was scared of me. I was hurting him, according to Vince said you're hurting him quit being so rough on him uh and other guys don't be so rough on these guys yeah well I told him you ought to go back to the porch and get them a rocking chair and sit on the porch if they don't want to get out there and work with me <laughs> and uh you know I mean these guys I mean I never really hurt nobody real bad I mean this would come in and ask me to hurt somebody and I would but that was part of my job I did what he wanted you know but uh you know, it's a lot more to all this than a lot of people see, and that's the reason we wrote the book. Yeah. The book explains a lot, tells a lot, and uh, it's, it's Don't Call Me Fake, Dr. D, and it's on Amazon, uh, and also <laughs> com, and that's John Cosper, the author of the book, we worked about two years getting this book together, and... We couldn't put everything we wanted in it and that's where we're contemplating on doing a second book. Yeah. You know, because there's so much more to be told but you know, everybody's read this book said, Hey, it's fantastic. It's yeah. uh uh I don't know if you've had a chance to read it, but everybody that I've uh everybody i have nobody say anything bad about the book, you know. That's
1: yeah. uh, can I, can I ask you about uh, uh, your thoughts on, on the current wrestling uh, product, and I don't know how much you follow it uh, or not, but, but to me, I mean, hearing all these stories, you really represent uh, not only a different time, but, but kind of an extreme uh, side of that different time where – kayfabe was protected at all costs right and and it was your job to convince people right and and the whole idea of protecting the business all the way over to where it is now and um you know you've got wwe itself on their network uh putting on shows where where their wrestlers openly speak about how it's worked and you've got guys who were rivals on tv sitting down to have dinner on camera and talking how they went over a match and and all that. I mean, it's just so open now. And and the other side of it is that uh, maybe less than ever before, certainly at least in, in the United States, um, there doesn't seem to be as much of a premium put on making it look as real as as possible. Um, and I, again, I don't know how much you, you follow some of this, but the, the new brand of Of really aerial high-flying acrobatic athletic wrestling and there's always been some of that but now it's gone to a point where there's been a a fair amount of debate among you know different kind of factions about whether this even is wrestling or or it's just you know uh, too much of a choreographed dance it it stops looking like a fight Uh, and i'm not weighing in one way or the other i'm just kind of putting out two sides there uh, for you. So, you coming from the school that, that you come from, w- when you see how much the sport has, has gone in the other direction, how does that make you feel?
0: Uh, it's real. Uh, I mean, you know, you say, well, I can't watch it. I, I, if I turn it on, I turn it off within five minutes. I, I don't understand what they're doing, how they're doing, why they're doing it. But uh, if you look at the ratings and the money that's being made at it, I guess they're doing something like right. But uh far as violence and competition and really getting out being a pro wrestler, used to, you know, you meant something. You know, you was tough. You could take it. you I mean that's what they did. They try to get you out of it when they you now they try to get you in it, no matter how bad you are. Just according to how big and fat and sloppy you are, how fast you can move or whatever is how far they're gonna push you. But when I when I broke in Hey, they tried to get you out of it, and if you wasn't good enough to take the pain and the misery you had to go through, get no, it you again.
1: Now, okay,
0: good. Now, what it's going to, what it's going today, is the MMA, mm-hmm.
1: is
0: about to take wrestling over. I think there's more people interested in the MMA than there are pro wrestling because now the MMA is starting to do interviews and, 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 you know, these guys are tough, man. These guys are hard workers. I mean, and somebody asked me the other day, said, what do you think about wrestling and MMA? Well, what do you mean? They said, well, a pro wrestler, you think a pro wrestler could be an MMA guy? No, I do not. Not today's pro wrestlers. The MMA is in such so much better condition they work so much harder. I mean, these guys work all day, every day. They're in the gym all the time. Pro wrestlers riding in a car, drinking coffee, drinking beer, doing whatever they do, get ready to go to the match. They go. Uh, it's all choreographed for them. They're, uh, you know, don't have to worry about getting beat up or whatever. These MMA guys got to worry about getting beat
4: up.
0: <laughs> got to worry about getting their nose broke, their arms just located, their knees just so These guys are tough, man. Let me yeah. tell you. If that if that had been around when I got in the business, I would have been right in the middle of it. Yeah. And I yeah. probably would have got I probably would have got beat up pretty <laughs> <I don't> bad. <know, laughs> but these guys are tough, man, you know. And the guy said, I can't believe you're saying that about wrestling. Why? what 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 can't you believe? I'm telling you what you ask me, I tell you. Well there's you know no way
1: I'm sorry a
0: wrestler, a pro wrestler can beat an MMA guy given the same size and weight and all this here, this here, you know.
1: Well, this was just uh, just on display last week, and I don't know how much you followed it, but CM Punk, who was a a pretty successful pro wrestler in in WWF um, over the last 10 years or so, uh, tried out uh, UFC. His first fight lasted a minute or so. He'd just taken down and beaten up. Uh, Last week, he fought again against a guy who had even less mixed martial arts experience than his first opponent, but was a legit mixed martial artist. And he was pretty much dominated for for three rounds. And I do think um, the I don't think anybody was surprised, but but what was on display was that you don't really have to be a tough guy to be a pro wrestler um, anymore. That they are really different things. He he was not um, clearly he uh, didn't have much fighting skill or I don't want to say toughness, but. Uh, Whatever he brought to the table in pro wrestling did not translate over to mixed martial arts. It's a good point. I mean, do you, it sounds like uh, – I, I wouldn't even think in terms of listing the qualifications to be a successful pro wrestler in 2018 of of uh, toughness or legit fighting ability, that kind of thing. Um, so it's interesting to hear you talk about it because I guess in your day, these guys really did have to be tough, right? I mean, you you had to be able to handle yourself in a bar fight or, or any kind of physical situation, right?
0: Exactly, and you know when I was, in I, I say when I was uh, in mixed martial arts, I would went in the ring with any of them because I could handle myself at that time. You know, I, I still would lost to one, but I would give them a hell of a fight. And if they made a mistake, you know, used to when I started watching mixed martial arts, I said, look, they're using all the wrestling moves they look at uh, the arm lock, the uh, arm bar, the wrist lock, the, you know, everything that I was taught how to shoot with and hurt people is what they was using. And I was taught to use this stuff, and then I was told to forget it until I got overseas, had to use it, don't let promoters know you know how to take care of yourself because they won't use you as good because who's going to take the belt off of you if you get a belt? Mm Mm-hmm. You know, if they want to put a belt on you, you're too tough. They won't let you do it. You know, and that was a bunch of tough uh, pro wrestlers back in my time. I mean, Herb Welsh would uh, Mr. Marshall Marsh uh, I mean, this guy would uh, I mean, he went into he he was telling me about going off the all ring, going to touch, and anybody line up, anybody stay in the ring five minutes, you get a hundred bucks or whatever. You know, and he said most of them didn't last thirty seconds. With, yeah. you know, and these were big, roots. no comment. And he said, all of them was just uh, a piece of cake, no problem. <laughs> and uh, probably in a bar fight, uh, it would have been a different thing. But he in the wrestling ring, and that was his territory. And that's who had a good guy. And he'd hook them. Well, how did he get on him so quick? Well, it happened. <laughs> And you don't know how he did it, but he'll have you there. And if you don't let you go, you'll starve to death. (laughs) Because you ain't going nowhere. You can't get loose. And, uh, you know, that's the way it was. Today, uh, you ask some of these guys about how, you know, they go out and you see them in the rain. My, all right. I mean, you you don't beat this guy to death. And now he makes a big comeback, and you beat him death again. He comes on back again, beat him, and the people sitting out there twiddling their thumbs. People need to be entertained if they're going to professional wrestling. They need to be entertained, and they need to go home thinking they got their money's worth. No matter what they do or how they do, they need to be entertained. And they're not doing that now. Of course, the WrestleMania here that does great or whatever, but it's all publicity TV and all that. and uh, I mean, you know, that's what I said. I can't, I can't say yay or nay to what they're doing because they're making
1: hilarious money. Yeah, you know. Yeah, it's and, just a completely uh, different uh, business that you're right. involved in. exactly. Yeah. yeah. So somebody's doing something right. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, this has been a, a real pleasure. Uh, again, the name of the book is "Don't Call Me Fake: The Real Story of Doctor D. David Schultz." With John Cosper, and this was real pleasure. When I got into wrestling as a young boy, this is back in the mid '80s. Um, You might have already been out of uh, WWF at the time, but a lot of what uh, sort of my education was was those old Coliseum video cassettes, and your matches with Hogan and and teaming with Piper were in there. And even as a kid of, of you know six or seven years old, I remember. There being a clear difference between you and everybody else, you were a little scary, <laughs> for, for a second. year <laughs> old <That's> boy. <laughs> like this, this guy is a little scary. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, and I mentioned uh, that a good a,
0: friend of a, a good friend of mine. Uh, New York athletic commission commission. I was doing an interview and I got scared, mm-hmm. and I was at my house. I said, Bob, you don't need to be telling people that. You need to keep that to yourself. <laughs> he said, I started shaking. And he said, You had me. So I said, Oh yeah, I wouldn't be telling people that. But uh, yes, they can get the book at uh, eatsleepwrestle dot com or Amazon. And if you don't have a book, and I don't think you do, get we're going to see if we can get. Yeah, we're going to see if we can get John Costner to pick you up with a book. And okay. then you'll be wanting to call back and really discuss. Oh, it. absolutely. Yeah, we could talk for
1: hours, I'm hey, sure.
0: Yeah. It's been great talking to you. Yeah, thanks, Doc. I appreciate and it. I see my wife over there taking care of banana trees. She's going to try to have more bananas this year. And, uh, oh, wait a minute. Yep, she's motioning for me. <laughs> I got to <laughs> okay. go to work. Now. Okay, right. thank buddy. You so much, thank you very much. It. Talk to you later. Yep, Bye-bye. Take care.